0: Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode 176 and our movie this week was 2001's Shrek. And joining me because she'd never seen it before, it's the Jen. Jen, how you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: I am doing alright. Okay, so... Shrek. How how is it? I got I got to know how it is. You didn't see this because this was like this wasn't just a one-off animated thing. This became a gigantic franchise and it felt it felt like it was like uh like like just you had to watch it at some point. So how how is it that you didn't see it? And uh we'll start there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so um the first around that time I was just going into college and I didn't own a TV. Huh? And so there was the only things that I really watched at that point were things that were for school or things that were because f- like, I was in a politics degree. So I had to watch the news. Right. But for the most part, I didn't watch anything. And so there was about, <laughs> I want to say, like two and a half years there where I just I didn't I didn't watch anything new that came out. Um, I would watch some classics. I worked at the library, so I would go to the Film and Music Center, and I would watch like weird old videos that my weird film major friends would recommend, but I was <laughs> pretty much not watching anything that was mainstream pop pop culture for that whole chunk, so it kind of like missed me. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: <laughs> I can see how that happened. Now, see, I had the opposite effect, which is I worked at the time part-time in a video store, and... This was in a regular rotation for us to play in the store for quite a while. So oh, wow. I saw this movie either in total or in chunks countless times over the course of several months to the point where I got so tired of it that I didn't watch it again. This, th- watching it this week for the show was probably the first time I have watched Shrek in, it's got to be, almost 20 years. I mean, it's almost since the movie came out because I was watching it just it was it was playing constantly.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like on rotation.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I didn't see it in theaters, um, but I watched it plenty while I was working. And I, I think, you know, once or I think I had seen it once before or as it was coming out on video. Um, I watched it. But like like I said, this spawned an entire franchise. Um, we'll kind of get into uh, this being one of the movies that kind of saved DreamWorks yeah. animation in a lot of ways. Um, so so that's
1: a, I don't know if you, um, just speaking of this franchise, that's actually part of the reason why it even came up yeah, on my radar. Was mm-hmm. I was at Universal and there's a Kung Fu Panda ride that references Shrek. And I was like, what's that donkey from? And <laughs> my husband and my bonus daughter looked at me like I was an insane person. <laughs> and I went, oh.
0: <laughs> oh, so this is we'll something see. I should probably know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Shrek. All right. Let, let's start there. Shrek became a like a, a DreamWorks animation just tentpole. Um, there have been four films uh because it was Shrek Shrek 2 Shrek 3 and then Shrek the 4th um countless direct-to-video things I think there was a series at one point I can't remember uh but so many like direct-to-video stuff rides but also um in 2008 I believe they made Shrek the musical uh which I would be interested to see how that goes um I assume it is roughly this story, the first the first Shrek story, but I would be very curious to see Shrek the musical. I don't know. Yeah,
1: and I I now that I've seen it, I'm like I get it. <laughs> I get why this was such a it's such a classic story. So I just get like how it works would work well for a musical just because it is. It's a classic archetypal story. With a twist, right? And comedic.
0: So they did the smart thing here. Because this was in development for several years. They started, uh, it, it got started as a project in kind of the early to mid-90s. Um, and it took probably four years to actually do the animation and everything on it. Um, but they were working on, they had almost an entire version recorded with Chris Farley as the lead. Um, and then he passed away and they weren't finished with it. They were going to, they, they kicked around the idea possibly of having somebody kind of come in and do finish off his lines, even his brother, um, Kevin, I believe was going to, but he just, he didn't want to do it. So they, they ended up not doing that and they bring in Mike Myers and Mike Myers, who was a friend of Chris Farley's from their time at SNL, basically wanted to kind of rework the story. Um, I think. In the the stuff that I read was in part as kind of like a, in honor of Chris Farley. Like, he didn't just want to come in and just redo all of what Chris Farley had been working on, because th- apparently the story was very tailored to him. So, Mike Myers comes in, they redo a bunch of stuff. Um, they had, uh, at that time, when Chris Farley was doing the voice work, Janine Garofalo was the voice of Princess Fiona.
1: Oh, that and, would have been interesting and very different.
0: Yes, uh, and and they got rid of her and then ended up bringing in Cameron Diaz. And there's like a lot of development stuff that's pretty interesting with this, but for it to become what it was, because they did the thing that I want a good movie, uh, a good, enjoyable movie to do, which is give me a very simple plot. I don't need anything overly complex, especially something that's, that's more or less aimed at kids. Don't overly uh, complicate things, but then make the characters interesting. And so, they gave just the the basic fairy tale plot: princess in a tower, knight goes to save her, uh, blah blah blah. But they twisted it, turned it on its head, made it very anti- uh, not anti-Disney isn't the right word, but like like the the other side of the coin from Disney, like the reverse version of Disney, and poked fun at. Uh, at Walt Disney Pictures, in in a few parts.
1: Oh yeah, poke fun of all at the traditional princess story too, right? The traditional, mm-hmm. like, oh, I need to be saved. Like she doesn't actually need to be saved, and we we see that, and they yeah. let that be very visible, which I really love. I, loved I like it. Took that moment to do that.
0: Yeah, I liked that, and and but she wants to be because that's that's what's supposed to happen. Um and there's like there's this great kind of interplay between tradition and then breaking tradition and, and weird just offshoots happening. And to me, that's fun. This was also 2001 when it came out, so 20, what, 21 years ago? Um, and almost 22 years ago now. And it, uh, it was the type of thing that wasn't done as much yet. Um, but it did remind me a little bit. It felt like there was some influence of... Do you rem- remember... Uh, in the Rocky and Bowwinkle show, the fractured fairy tales.
1: Yes, I do. Wow. That's a, that's a callback.
0: Yeah. Know, um,
1: but yes, <laughs> I'm showing do, some actually. age there,
0: but, but it, <laughs> watching it, especially this time, given it been so long since I'd seen it, I got some feeling of that kind of fractured fairy tales. We're like, we're going to take the fairy tale, but we're going to, it's kind of ridiculous. And let's, let's, you know, take the Mickey out of it a little bit. And I love that. I love that kind of stuff because, when stories have been around long enough, you should play with them a little bit and have some fun. And I also appreciate this movie because the jokes never felt like they were punching down. Even when they're poking fun at Disney, they never felt like they were making fun of Disney so much as joking about what Disney is and what Disney has become. If that makes oh, sense? Oh, yeah.
1: And, the and of course, the jokes are... One of the things that makes us so good is that the jokes are so um just well timed. oh, yeah, like they are all of the right moments hit, and of course, in like any good movie aimed at kids, there are a few ones left in there for the adults, which is nice, right? Mm-hmm. There's I definitely caught a few. Um, also washer asses <laughs> made me laugh <laughs> so many. Times.
0: Oh that that was the one that I never got tired of watching it on the loop at work was uh, <laughs> was the song um, which is is in the same uh, tempo and the same key as it's a small world right so you know they they nailed that i okay, here's an interesting piece of trivia I read. I did not know this until today, and this one kind of blows my mind because I know a l- I've never done. Uh, an animated feature, an animated show, but I know enough of kind of the making of to know sort of the process that, they, that it goes through because um, I'm fascinated by voice acting. Eddie Murphy, Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, and John Lithgow, your four major players in this. None of them recorded in the same room with each other.
1: Oh, I'm actually really surprised to hear that. I really assumed that Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy... In particular, I assumed that they were in the same room because they play the way it is edited and it's laid so nicely that it feels so natural.
0: It really does. Like their chemistry and their interplay feels like they're because normally you would you would try as much as possible to have people together in a room um, to record, especially any scenes where there's a lot of dialogue going back and forth. But. For them to have just
1: like, 90% of the scenes,
0: <laughs> yeah, and 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 to have this movie have no one in the same room at any point is crazy to me. Um, especially given that you've got Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers who are geniuses at improv, and you know they're improving a lot of this stuff, so they're working off of lines fed to them to then do their improv and and their line reads. Um, it's just it, it, that blew my mind. Like, I've never, I understand that you don't always have everyone in the same room but to not have that at all at any point. And I think it was John Lithgow said that was one thing that bummed him out was that he didn't get to actually be in the room with uh, these other actors and get to work with them. Um, And
1: and I love that I can say that I still love everything that John Lithgow is in. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There is nothing that he is in that I don't, that I watched and was like, oh, I don't enjoy that. Nope, not a single one.
0: So he was like perfect casting to be Lord Farquaad, which oh, is yeah. another Lord Farquaad is another one of those jokes that sails over the kids heads, but the adults kind of get what they're going for there. And it's a, it's a great little subtle one. Um, but John Lithgow playing Lord Farquaad, who is basically in a pursuit of perfection. Um, he, cause there's, there's not a lot of depth to his character. Uh, which is fine. You don't need that. He's just a bad guy. He's just in a pursuit of like, he wants perfection for the realm, but he's a tiny little short guy. And you got John Lithgow voicing him, who's six foot four. <laughs> so like just that idea alone, hearing that voice coming out of this little tiny uh, body was hilarious, but I love, and I almost wish that the reveal of his height would have first been when they kept, when they pulled him off the horse. Like we hadn't seen him until then because that gag is so funny when he rides up on the horse and then you see him pull his arm out of the one sleeve uh and it stays in place, you know, holding the reins. Uh, and like and that would have been such a great reveal of that character. Uh and I kind of feel like they wasted they didn't waste it, but they like they just they missed that one, you know?
1: No, I think that's fair. I think I think you're right. That could have been a really a great reveal. He uh I love that he is Lord Maximus Farquad. <laughs> yes, like, which is great. Like why not? Again, really just driving down the fact that it is short in stature, but not in, uh, uh, I don't know, delusions of grandeur. Maybe a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh for sure. Um, what I like to too about his character is that he just he just doesn't care at all. He's just like, nope, this is what I'm doing. And he's like, the the scene where they come back, because he, he gets the magic mirror, and and so he's constantly talking to the mirror, but then you see it come back to him later, and he's just laying in bed, eating food, watching the mirror over and over. And the fact that so many of his minions and people around him can't stand him, but he's got all the power, so they can't do anything about it, um, was pretty funny. But wh- what did you think of, uh, of Lord Farquad and and John Lithgow's voice work as like as a villain in this particular story.
1: Oh, excellent. Um his voice skills are always very very good, but in particular this is really really good. He has just that right bit of like weird sniveling like It reminds me of Mel Brooks. I know that I don't know if that sounds weird to you, but it very much reminds me of that kind of an an, uh, antagonist from like a Mel Brooks type comedy, and I think that's part of the reason that I it appeals to me so much.
0: Yeah, I can actually see that because he's like the character is very powerful. The character has uh, has stature in the kingdom, but he doesn't intimidate with like a booming voice or anything like that he's got a little sniveling to him a little like uh you, you almost like you you laugh at him because he's so ridiculous but yet if a character in the movie laughs at him you know that character is going to end up in a bad place
1: yeah the sniveling definitely in, in can i just say as far as voice work um when I saw it was Cameron Diaz because I I didn't realize that's who it was. I was mm. initially very surprised and I was not expecting it to be as good as it was, and not because she's not an excellent comedian because she is. Like I think of, um, I can think of a hundred things where she's she is so funny. She has oh, great yeah. comedic timing, but I didn't expect it to translate to that character in this kind of a movie. And it was much better than I anticipated. It was actually one of my more favorite of the voice acting performances, surprisingly. I mean, Murphy's always funny, but th- it actually really surprised me.
0: And I think part of it is like voice acting and and in front of camera acting are very different. Um, and there's there's obvious crossover and similarity, but you can't just be a good actor and step into the voice booth and do that job. Like Daniel Day-Lewis is one of the greatest living actors out there, but he's going to step into a booth and have a little bit of trouble with it because it's a very different uh, just skill set. Um, I will say that I was like you more surprised this time around with Cameron Diaz in her performance than I was um, back then. And, and I think the surprise of it was like there was a lot of – of, uh, of warmth in her performance that I just didn't remember. Like, I remembered it being a little more flat and just kind of like, yeah, she's there, but whatever, it is what it is. But there was a lot more kind of emotion to her character than I had remembered there being. And a lot of that comes through in that voice work and the way that she, um, especially like the scene with her and Donkey where she's transformed into the ogre form and she's you know letting everything out. I just remembered that not being as good as it is it's it's really good work
1: yeah it's very vulnerable um you really get to see the character like you were talking about the dimension of these characters because really i mean other than the dragon uh, i ultimately this is a movie carried by four characters and primarily three let's be honest it's the it's the little group right and that's it and it was very a lot very much Um, the vulnerability and the depth that you get from her made it very, very enjoyable for me.
0: Yeah. And then you have, um, you have, we talked about Eddie Murphy a little bit. We touched on him, Eddie Murphy as donkey. This is some of his best, like just work in general, I think. Oh, he's hilarious. And, And, and you need that type of character in this because a princess, for the most part, it's going to be a pretty straightforward role. Um, in terms of what your expectation is, now they they subvert that a little bit, and I think in the sequels they kind of expand on that even more. But for this first one, and for the simplicity simplicity of the story, like your 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 comedy uh, sidekick is important, and Eddie Murphy just nails like he. And it's not the first time he's done it because he did it a few years earlier than this one uh, as Mushu in um, Mulan, which. It, is another... I, I love Mushu uh, as a character because he just... he's I mean Eddie Murphy's funny. But there's something with Donkey in that he's... he's kind of the anti-Eeyore. Like, he's just overly chipper and happy all the time and he's super friendly and he sees beyond... Uh, he, like, he sees people for who he wants them to be. So, like, he's perfect for Shrek, right? Because the moment he meets Shrek, he's just like, you're great, you're awesome, you're, you're gonna be my friend. And... And Shrek is like, yeah, but I'm I'm an ogre and I'm scary. And he's like, ah, what? You know, sure, yeah, that's scary. What, what? Let's let's go, let's hang out. And and Eddie Murphy's just got this great energy about him to be able to pull that off.
1: Yeah, and you know, you have to have, uh, you've got to have the good punchlines, right? And you've got to have the character that delivers them, just like Mulan. With Mushu, He definitely carries a lot of the, the little punchlines and that keeps, it keeps the energy going. But there is more depth to that character. And I do, I'd laugh and call him the anti Eeyore because he, he is, that's like the best way of describing it. He's this upbeat, positive, um, and also helps make things happen in the story, right? That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. Um, he's the driving force, kind of the voice of reason, um, right? Because it's the ass whose job it is to be the voice of reason.
0: Yep. Uh. <laughs> Which is perfect. Well, plus, like, him being a donkey, obviously, it plays into a few jokes. Him being a talking donkey, and the fact that they never give any, uh, like, any backstory to that at all, right? Because we're getting all the fairy tale creatures. So we've got the ogre, and we get, like, the different characters that pop up in little cameos, but there's just a talking donkey. And it's like, well, was he a human that got turned into a donkey? Was he a donkey that got magic spell put on? We don't know. And it's never, like, in this movie, they just, nope, he's just, he can talk. He's a donkey. He talks a lot. Um, And and it's great. And the other part of it, too, is having him be such a good, uh, compassionate and positive force when he finally breaks and gets upset with Shrek. You as an audience you feel that that emotion even more, right? Like that's the it's an it's enough to have the emotional tension between Shrek and Fiona, but then for it to also extend to Donkey um is the real gut punch where you're like, "Okay, now we're in the sad moment." You know, now playing Hallelujah and everybody being sad and moping around, it hurts even more because Donkey is even upset
1: that's you know i'm actually glad you mentioned the music because that was the other thing that um made this movie so good were the choice uh the music choices and the placement of those music choices and i also have like three songs stuck in my head and will be uh a while before they leave my brain i'm sure um there was a lot of good music
0: um So I do want to mention this because I found this really interesting. Hallelujah, um, originally by Leonard Cohen, is played as the emotional um, moment in this where we've had the classic misunderstanding of character A is talking to character B about character, uh, incidentally about character C, who overhears only part of the conversation and makes the assumption. So we've got all the miscommunication, right, of, Shrek heard what, heard some words that Fiona said, but out of context, he gets upset. Fiona gets upset because she thinks he understands what's going on and is just being a dick about it. And they split ways and we get that, but hallelujah. They chose to do that, but they used, um, a version of it done by, uh, who's it? Kale Jensen. No, John Kale. Sorry. John Kale recorded his cover of hallelujah. Ninety one. Um, And then when they were putting together the soundtrack album, uh, musician Rocky, Robbie Robertson was was one of the people in charge of kind of putting that all together. And he did not let them use the John Cale version on the soundtrack um, because Cale had no affiliation with DreamWorks Records. And DreamWorks has a music division as well. So that's when Rufus Wainwright did his cover for the soundtrack which is now a, a version that a lot of people like. Um, so I found that interesting that the Rufus Wainwright version of this, at least according to what I read, in part exists because John Cale didn't have a record uh, deal or any dealings with DreamWorks Records, but they wanted they they used his cover in the movie. And it's also one of those where it's like music in the movies versus what gets put out on soundtracks is always tricky because of rights.
1: Oh, absolutely. So absolutely and it's like one of the most expensive well not the most expensive not for something like this where the animation was I'm sure incredibly expensive but music is always pricey especially when you're trying to and it can be complex I I love that that does parody it's a small world I know you mentioned that that um, the uh, that parody song in there just reminded me of that too Um, (laughs) just such a fun version and it is, it is playing fun at, I had almost forgotten because I've only seen it one time now, but I'd almost forgotten how the whole thing started with the dating game. I had forgotten that it was, it was the dating game. Um, how I was like, how did he, I was trying to remember how he ended up targeting Fiona as his option. And then, yeah, as the dating game, which is of course the magic mirror host. Very nice.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, A little bit more on music while it's in my head is um, this the it opens up with uh, All Star by Smash Mouth. Yes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) This is this is the this movie is the reason why that song is the hit that it is. And like it still right, because it was a popular song in the late 90s, but. Putting it in Shrek just, like, made it go to another level, and that's why it's still, you know, relevant, quote-unquote, today. But it was not originally going to be the song they were going to open the movie with. They put it in there as a placeholder, and then test audiences loved it, so they just kept it. And then because of that, they had, I think, that's why they had them record their cover of I'm a Believer for the end credits.
1: Which is also another fantastic... um Thing that is perfect earworm, like oh yeah, I, no, so that's gonna be in my. Be in my it's gonna be in my brain for a couple weeks for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I'm a believer. Is already a super super catchy song. Uh, even the you know the monkeys version of it, and then to throw in a, like a um, early 2000s uh, pop version by Smash Mouth. It's like yeah, all right. Well, that's stuck now. It's not getting out of there anytime. I'm gonna have to go watch, like, a half dozen episodes of DuckTales and get that stuck in my head for a while.
1: Yeah, rotate that, it that, out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that might be the only thing that'll get I'm a Believer out is the, the theme to DuckTales. <laughs> but I also loved, like, the music that they would do that was pseudo-Disney princess music. Like, there's the scene with Fiona where she gets up in the morning and she starts singing with the bird. And that scene is so absurd and ridiculous because it just keeps going I and going can't. until the bird finally explodes.
1: I can't. I, I with that scene. So I was watching this with my husband who has obviously seen this multiple times. So this is for, it had to have been a little weird watching it with me where it was <laughs> brand new. But when the bird popped, I think I even made like a, Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> like I, poor bird. Uh, but also just such a ridiculous way to like the, the, princess trope and that all the princesses in disney are such wonderful singers and all of the wildlife just love them and she makes a bird explode and i <laughs> it's so ridiculous
0: uh, it is and that's the the humor that humor continues on um in the movie but then in the series as well so they kind of keep doing that um I just loved like that that scene was so ridiculous and then it just cuts right to her cooking like looking at the nest and then just cooking three eggs. And and again it's just like that absurd the, the absurdity of that just cracked me up. Um,
1: it's breakfast time.
0: <laughs> yep. Now w- we haven't mentioned him yet too much, but Mike Myers is Shrek. And Mike Myers has done several well-known characters like characters that you remember um Shrek might be the one that the most people know
1: Yeah that's the funny thing is is that now I this is what most people think of when they think of of Mike Myers like the general population and it's funny because it's not the first thing I think of because I had not seen it until now so um Sure but he's done multiple um it's Scottish accent, right? Am I, my, mis- yeah. Yeah. So his he's done several, like his, his typical kind of jokesy Scottish accent, but it works really well and it's not over the top and it doesn't feel it, it feels genuine and good. Like, but all I can think of is, um, for the first couple minutes of him talking, I did have a hard time not trying to remember. Um, oh gosh, what's his name from, um, from spy, oh boy, um, fat bastard. Yes, thank you. I was like, "What is his <laughs> name?" I was like, "It's a joke about his size." Why can't I remember it? Yes, um, that was at first. I had to kind of shake that a little bit because mm-hmm. that's again where I, when I hear him do Scottish, that's that's where my brain goes.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, well, and and by this time, by the time this movie came out, he had made uh, that uh, spy who shagged me, and I think Goldmember wasn't too far after that so yeah he was it was definitely uh, a very similar voice and it's kind of so he'd originally done it um i guess a lot of like most of his lines with a uh i want to say canadian accent but didn't like how it sounded and so according to trivia i read they actually spent another four million dollars in order to re-record all of his stuff with that scottish accent
1: well, that was the right choice because I don't think was. I could have imagined it any other way. Um, speaking of, there was so many references to other movies in this that I, I just reminding me, uh, there was the, that'll do donkey. That'll do. Yes. <laughs> um, oh gosh, there was another one. Um, I'm trying to, it'll, it'll come to me, but yeah, there were a few, um, obviously tons of references to disney um of course the god blesses everyone with the one-legged gingerbread man at the end <laughs> it was like the hold on we got just one more good joke don't worry there's still there's still a couple more you're kind of like oh the movie's wrapping up i laugh that stupid gingerbread man <laughs> with the, the reference ginger- to the oh. Christ- a christmas carol made me laugh so hard
0: <laughs> the gingerbread man kills me every single time it doesn't matter I have I have audio I'll play in a little while of the Gingerbread Man because it's too good. Um, yeah, I just I, you're right in that they made he made the right choice going to the Scottish accent and it's it's one that has it is the same roughly the same voice as Fat Bastard it's roughly the same voice as his uh, Scottish father and so I Married an Axe Murderer and characters he would do on SNL and the thing was like for me when I saw this movie for, for, for the first time in 2001 I had you know, I had seen Austin Powers in theaters. I had seen So I Married an Axe Murder. I, I went for Halloween one year as Wayne Campbell. Like, I, I remembered Wayne's World. Um, and so I knew Mike Myers enough that that this just fit into that same pantheon of, like, characters that he's played. But I I am quite certain that there are just scores and scores of, of especially kid people that were kids at that time right like six seven eight years old in 2001 where that's this is their thing this is their jam like for you and i it was kind of the early 90s disney renaissance the the little mermaid beauty and the beast
1: beauty and the beast little <laughs> mermaid all those ones
0: <laughs> yep and for a lot of kids it was shrek and that's why it became the huge franchise it was i think is it i want to say it's the third Second or third Shrek was one of the higher-grossing movies to come out for for quite some time. Um, like they were ridiculously popular, uh, and there's talk of doing a soft reboot of some kind. I saw on IMDb, like a like a fifth listing. I don't know who's working on it or if it's ever going to happen. Um, but this came along kind of at like the moment where where CGI, uh, 3D computer-generated um, animation was really getting its its like substantial foothold, right? We'd had uh what was it? Dreamworks had ants in ninety eight and a Bug's Life was ninety eight, I think, as well. Um, Pixar was had done a few, um, and this and and like DreamWorks animation was was on its last legs when Shrek came out. And Shrek blew up and kind of saved DreamWorks animation. In I'm glad that they did because while well, i don't think they're they have been as consistently good as say pixar like pixar is almost every single time out it's like that's just fantastic or they're doing something i mean
1: pixar is magic unreal. i it's i don't know what their magic is but they have a lot of it and but no like i they were a real com- competitor i could see that this being a thing that would especially step up considering that computerized animation it's not it wasn't gonna go away after you know the things that pixar was doing and this is a couple years after ants too see i watched ants when it came out but that's Mm because it was a couple years earlier
0: (laughs) 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 Um, yeah it hit at the right time
1: right now i did i did when i was poking around looking about uh shrek facts i did find it interesting that in 2020 or 2020 uh, it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the United States Library of Congress, so it was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. So, there you go, Shrek—not only popular, uh, but apparently culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant.
0: <laughs> and and honestly, like it makes sense because you've got in the main film series of Shrek, you've got uh, four four major films plus two spin offs. because. Uh, in the second movie, uh, Antonio Banderas voices Puss in Boots. And that character got a spin off movie, and they're working on a second one that's supposed to be out this year in that series as well. Plus, okay, there was a uh, Puss in Boots show that ran for three years. There's a couple of television specials. I think there's uh, Shrek the Hall, so that's got to be a Christmas one. Um, the I the hope Shrek so. the Musical. Well, the the television specials are Shrek the Halls and Shrek uh, Scared Shrekless. So, so it sounds like Halloween
1: can, and Christmas. Yeah,
0: um, and then of course all the video games and all the properties and merchandise all over the place, and, and it's it's great because it's a very simple character design for Shrek and for Donkey, but I love the stylized look of them because for a 21 year old uh, movie, CG movie. This still looks really good,
1: oh yeah, I mean, it's it it looks I can't even imagine how much work and effort this was in two thousand and one because <laughs> they I mean it took them years, but I mean that was oh, man, it, it a lot of work for back then. Um, oh, there was a, yeah. a matrix reference. that's what the CGI made me think about the mm, right is the fact that we've got uh the matrix reference with uh, w- uh with Fiona and the 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 merry men.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> oh, that wasn't a really enjoyable scene. But yeah, so that was definitely a direct reference. That was really funny.
0: Which was part of like it took them so long to animate the movie that they could throw things like that in where cuz they started animation on it I think in 96 or 97. Yeah, I think so the Matrix I read, hadn't too. even come out for two years, but they, it, you know, the the amount of time it took to work on it, they could slide stuff like that in there, and I also loved the the Robin Hood scene because um, it's one the ridiculousness of having Robin Hood have a French accent and the Merry Men doing their their song and dance, um, but then I found out later that it was Vincent Castle that did the voice of Mister Hood. I was like, well, crap! I had no like I had no idea. Yeah. Or Vincent Cassell, maybe? I don't know how you pronounce his last name. He's French. So, but uh, he was, like, that was fun. But that, that scene is great because of that Matrix reference. And that's the scene where we discover and we learn that Fiona isn't this delicate princess who needs saving. She's, she's into the, to the I need to be saved thing because that's what, ha- that's what princesses do. You know, and that I love that where she's like, hey, "When you're a princess, you spend a lot of time by yourself, so uh, why not uh, use that time wisely?" I was like, "That's actually pretty brilliant."
1: I do. I speaking of female characters that are strong and whatnot, we've also got the dragon. Um, yes, <laughs> and oh, the she's, dragon's so she's good. a delight. Um, let's see. I don't. I don't recall who voices her.
0: Um, I, I want to say, they, I mean, cause she doesn't really have any lines. So like yeah, the voice no, no, work no. is, the um, voice work
1: is all, is all that. Um, but just, oh, that's true. It is. It's all pantomime, isn't it? Cause I feel <laughs> like her and donkey have a conversation, but they don't, it's all one-sided with him yeah and it's all pantomime. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's so well done in animation that I literally assumed she had a voice. Oh my gosh, that's so silly!
0: Well, and it's and it's a great reveal of the dragon because you know obviously the dragon shows up running around, angry, breathing fire, all of that. And then when donkey just just trying anything he possibly can to not get burnt to a donkey you know donkey crisp um, makes a, the the comment about teeth and the smile, and then like the dragon kind of blushes and backs up and then comes forward and now you see a little bit of eye makeup over the dragon's yep, eyes exactly. and exactly. Like, oh and like that's that's it but then her mannerisms all change and she gets all flustery and like it's just adorable it's well and,
1: communicated yeah, considering it is all in
0: <laughs> and just completely falls for donkey and and what I like too is you've got a little bit of that like oh boy I, I might have uh, bitten off more than I can chew here from donkey but by the end of the movie, he's all about it. He's super happy with with the thing, and and I love the design of that dragon too. So, you know, it's a dragon with the wings that there's no way those wings would allow the dragon to fly because they're yeah. not big enough. But like, <laughs> it's perfect for that dragon. Um, and and the dragon has one of my favorite moments in the movie, which is when all the windows have been blown out uh, at the very end, and she's standing there, and there's one stained glass window left, and it's it's Lord Farquad, and she just kind of. Punches it out.
1: Yeah. Just so. in particular, that window. Yes. <laughs> just want to be clear.
0: And, and I loved like, again, that's, there's, that's Eddie Murphy uh, in his performance, really carrying scenes because he's got to do all the voice work for those scenes with the dragon. And it just works perfectly. Like when they land at uh, the castle at the end and, Shrek and Donkey are heading for the castle and the dragon turns around and she looks at all the, the scattering uh, knights and everything. And Donkey's just like, oh, go have some fun. If, if we need you, we'll whistle. <laughs> and she's just all happy and like bounds away like, a, like a, you know, a puppy ready to go play with some toys. The dragon just gets to go have fun doing dragon things, br- breathing fire. It's awesome. Go have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go have fun. And you can tell that's like that's, that was what the dragon wanted at that point. Um, I just love that. I really, this movie is a lot of fun without being like, it doesn't have to do any sort of a, it doesn't have to get preachy about the message, but the message is there, right? Like the, the idea of, of look beyond the surface and, but it never feels like it's preaching, but like it's, it's front and center. Like they, they let you know that's what's going on, but it, it makes sense for all the characters the way that they are. Shrek Shrek has lived his entire life being judged by the fact that he's an ogre. And so he's resigned himself to the fact that I want to I should be by myself in a swamp all the time. That was kind of a cool scene where he and Donkey are talking because you get to see that that's just what he feels like he is supposed to have at this point because that's all he's known, but it's not what he wants. Like he's kind of the princess in this whole thing. In a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because he's the one that ends up with um, with his fairy tale at the end, which, you know, gets the deed to the swamp, and he gets the girl, and it's kind of the whole, I guess, the hero's ending, um, as it were. I... I had I knew that I knew that Fiona was an ogre, obviously because i can't i've existed on the planet and there's enough right. shrek stuff out there um but I'll be honest, I was still delighted in how that came about um i didn't uh I didn't expect it to be a nightly thing i guess initially i I assumed it was gonna be like oh at the end she's gonna turn into an ogre to be with him or whatever um so that was actually kind of delightful how that was kind of unveiled and um and all of that and the whole like the fact that it doesn't really matter what she looks like as long as she's with the person she's happy with and that's you know they had a lot of fun together they adventured she yeah it was fun it's a very it was just a very fun story and like i said yeah. it's simple it's just simple yes
0: yes the simplicity of the story is what makes it work because if you try to overcomplicate things in an hour and a half long animated feature It's going to feel like you're jamming too much in there and then everything's going to feel rushed. Like it's already, you already have to kind of park logic brain at the door of two people meeting and falling in love that quickly, right? That's the fairy tale aspect of it, which is fine. And as in a fairy tale, I definitely uh, can suspend that disbelief and go for it. But keeping the story simple makes that suspension of disbelief easier because It's all, it's really about Shrek meets her, rescues her from the tower and they adventure on their way back. And that amount of time is for her to kind of figure out that she is happy with this guy. And there's little, there's fun little things that if you watch it again, you'll notice like when, um, when they're walking through the field and he's, you know, wiping the flies away and she runs up and grabs the, uh, the spider web and catches all the flies so it ends up like, uh, like cotton candy. When he starts to eat the the flies and the, the stuff as he's walking away, which is horrible, but you see her, after she hands it to him, she kind of licks her fingers. Yeah. And, like, she's all about eating the the weed rat and all of that. Like, there's, there's all these things. Because I guess one of the things I read early on in the script was that she was born an ogre. Her parents, uh locked her away or or had sent her away or something. Um, I can't remember how it went, but basically when she got out of the tower by herself was when she got um, a a spell cast on her that turned her to a beautiful woman with the caveat that she would turn back every night. And so they sort of distilled that down and kind of got rid of that backstory and it was the, all, all you get left of that is like the witch put a curse on me or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, because that, thats definitely the part I remember. It's like, yeah, the curse, and then what is it? True love's form. Um, although There's always like the the phrase "true love's kiss," "true love's yep. form." All the, all the typical, uh, fairy tale Disney stuff. Uh, definitely that feel. Um, but, I again just there in yeah, I make a mean, mean, rat stew or whatever he. Said. Oh yeah. Oh,
0: it's. <laughs> They're just eating skewered weed rat and and loving every second of it and like uh, it's so it's so good because you get to see like Fiona has plenty of agency too like she's a well written character she's not a damsel in distress we've we've talked about that but Absolutely. she also like she is making the choice she wants to get married to break the curse that she's under because she feels like. She can't live her life changing into this ogre form every night. And so she is as much on the quest. She's more on the quest of getting married than Shrek is and actually finding her and bringing her back. And I like that. I like the fact that they wrote her that way. Because really, you think about it, she probably could have left that uh, that tower at any point. Oh,
1: any time. She could have left at any point. I agree. Um, I think. I think she could have gotten out of there... And that scene with the merry men makes that really clear, right? She's she's able to handle herself just fine. But it's just the whole, she's got to wait. Oh, and then when she, oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite moments, is when she is, he's coming up and she's like, oh, okay. And she's like laying and, and trying to get herself oh, yeah. all ready for her <laughs> princess moment. And and then at the, at the end of that whole thing, she's like, you didn't kill the dragon first.
0: It's on my to-do list I love like that's that's such a great subversion of the fairy tale stuff in that entire scene at that castle because she's she uh, she's prepared for him to show up I love where she's like laying there and then she kind of gets up and looks over and, and makes sure he's still coming and then lays back down and grabs the flowers. Um, and all that so it's like that perfect romantic moment and then when she starts relaying like that's this isn't how it's supposed to go you're supposed to do what all these other guys did and he's like yeah right before they got burned alive by the dragon and they like a cut to like just armor with a skeleton sticking out of part of it right and yeah I just love I love that subversion so much because again like she's she's in this because it's just what she believes is supposed to happen and it's the only way to break her curse. And then for the tropey, you know, miscommunication thing to happen, again, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as forced as it does in some other versions of that trope happening. Because we're not, we're, we're not like overcomplicating things. It's just, oh yeah, no, Shrek walked away. And he's already down enough on himself. And she's down enough on herself. And, yeah, the problem could have been fixed by a simple conversation, but neither one of them want to have that. Like, so many times that miscommunication happens and there's, like, there's no need for it. This, the characters felt right in having that miscommunication.
1: Yeah, and that's, like, the lesson in there, too, right? Is, like, you take the assumption of what's being said or, you know, you hear a snippet and you assume... And that's like that's part of the lesson in it too, right? Is you've got there's always gotta be a good there's always gotta be good lessons. That's again, it's the it's all it this story is very it's all the the tropes and the archetypes of a fairy tale, but again, done differently, done better and mm-hmm. i it made almost five hundred million dollars in the box office. <laughs> that's insane. It's just
0: a- those are $2,001. So that's what I'm that, saying. That is That's a is big, nuts. big movie. And so you can see how it spawned the franchise that it did and why it had... La- I mean, they oh, exactly. The second movie, it was about a three-year cycle after that where they would put out Shrek movies. Two, three, and four were like 04, 07, and 11, I think. Um, it's just crazy. I just... I really... I like how there's that, that message in there, like the lesson to learn. And again, it doesn't feel out of place in what they're doing. Plus, you know, it, again, it's a fairy tale. There, there should be some of that in there. Um, but there's the right mix of humor into it, too, that doesn't, again, feel out of place. I also found it interesting that the only characters to refer to Shrek as Shrek are Donkey and Fiona. And granted, there's not a lot of, like, character characters in this, right? It's a lot of background people, but... But uh, Lord Farquaad never refers. He always refers to it as "it" or uh, "the ogre." And the that's ogre, like, yeah,
1: that's what I recall too. Definitely.
0: So he has like to to everyone else. Shrek has no humanity, no no feelings, uh, and so it, it takes Donkey and Fiona to see that in him. And Donkey is the first one to because I love like I love their interactions just because Donkey immediately is like I want to be friends with you. I don't you know. And he's like, yeah, oh, but I'm big and scary. And he does the scary face. And I love, cause it's the reaction of like, wow, that was really scary. So, you know, and he just goes on about it and like donkey just doesn't care. And, and it takes over the course of the movie for Shrek to see that these people can see him as more than just a big, scary, smelly ogre.
1: I have been trying to put my finger on it the whole time. And I finally, finally did it. Their interaction, their buddy traveling interaction reminds me of Emperor's New Groove and their buddy adventure. I was trying to figure it out this mm. whole time. I'm like, what is this reminding me of? And that's exactly what it is, is that that like their interaction reminds me a lot of that. The adventure, um, obviously they don't have as much mistrust as the two of them, but the way that the jokes play out and a lot of it, that it definitely reminds me of that.
0: That's actually pretty good because one of the things I loved in Emperor's New Groove is which is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time um, is that you know you've got Pacha showing Cusco who he kind of really is. Um, And then there's that moment where they get to the diner and they're able to even though they're still at the diner scene there's still the mistrust between them but they play off of each other so perfectly. Exactly. And that's sort of what makes them realize that they can work together well. And it's Shrek and Donkey have that because Shrek, Donkey is, is really showing Shrek kind of who he really can be and who, who somebody can see him as. And, and then you have moments where they just play off of each other so perfectly. And like <laughs> the, the bit where, uh, where they're outside the, the castle and Donkey's like, you can't go in yet. You got to wait for the line. Wait for the line. And then they're way the, the wedding's way past that. And so Shrek's just like, oh come for the love of Pete, and just goes in anyway. Like it's just there, there's so much of that. That's a good comparison uh with Emperson oh, Groove. I like that. It's
1: been running in my background for like since I watched it. I'm like, what is this reminding me of? <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I was thinking particularly of the diner scene. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. No, this was a great movie. I um I definitely will watch it again. Um, John Lithgow is incredible. He's one of my favorite people ever, and I want more of him. Does he show up? Is Lord Farquaad in 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 subsequent films, or is he only in the main one?
0: Well, uh, given that he got eaten by the dragon, oh, I guess that's I don't true. Know that he of course, back. that's
1: true. Yeah, good call. Good call. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because the offs would have been, all the spinoffs would have been later, so I guess it would have yeah. been post-Dragon. Oh, I would have um, enjoyed, enjoyed Lord Farquaad, the prequel, uh, A Rise uh, to Questionable Power. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now that we have a title, let's start working on that, because that's, that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> no, Lithgow, Lithgow is great, because he's one of those, like, there are, there are actors that can play heroes, there are actors that can play villains... Um, there are, there are actors that can do a little bit of both, but it's always in different ways. The thing with John Lithgow is he can be, you know, if you see, uh, what is it? Footloose, like he can be terrible. He can be awful, but he can also be bumbling and silly. Like he was in, uh, in a lot of third rock from the sun in this movie. And he can do both sides of that. He can be the bad guy and the foil doing that, or he can be kind of a lovable version of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can think all the way back to Harry and the Hendersons and watching him in that and how much I loved him in that movie. He is one of those those people that it's just like if he's in something, he elevates it. Right. Whether it's Harry and the Hendersons, uh, Buckaroo Banzai and whatever it is he's doing in that movie is he's still like he brings it and he's just you see him in something and and you, you can't help but just feel better about the project. If John Lithgow's a part of it, so yeah, this is a super fun movie. Now you you say you'll watch this again. Are you interested in watching the sequels as well?
1: Oh, I definitely will. I feel like I feel like I have to. Well, even in that, so again, this came up in a ride at Universal Studios, like, and yeah. the, even Donkey's little bit in that was hilarious. So I, I imagine that everything I come across is gonna be pretty entertaining. Um, so yeah, I definitely will watch the subsequent films now that I have seen the first one, um, and then yeah, I definitely would give this another watch. It's it's fun, it's delightful, it's simple enough, but also great punchlines all the way through. Like that's pretty much what I look for in a good time.
0: Yeah, and this is one of those movies too that like you run into kids and you're not sure what to play for them. This is a great movie to throw on with kids around. Um, it's a good kids movie that you're, you're not going to hate watching as an adult. Um, and you can get a lot out of it as an adult. I still think it's, it's hilarious. I've laughed out loud at parts of it. Um, the song alone, like just if nothing else, but that song is perfect. That song and is it's amazing. just, it's so good. <laughs> I do have, I do have some audio clips I do want to play. Cause there's some moments in this that just, that just kill me. Um, the, I love Like Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy's hilarious. He's one of the funnier comedians I've ever heard. But his work in in movies, and this might be like I said, some of his best work is this character. And this was the start of it. And like, again the character of Donkey and like the endless positivity without it being like that toxic positivity. Like it's just genuinely I'm just a happy guy and I'm trying to find the, the positive side of things. When he's walking into the swamp with Shrek for the first time, and he looks over and he just says, "I like that boulder." Just, I like that boulder. That's a nice boulder. So, like that one was good. Um, what was this one? Man, that's strong gas is out of my butt that day. Oh yeah, strong gas is eeking out of my butt.
1: It's just, it's his delivery. It's just <laughs> he delivers lines that no one else. That's why he was Mushu. There is no one else Mm -hmm. that could have delivered those lines and had the same effect. It's just, it's, it's, there's very few people that have that. It's like Robin Williams, right? Like there's some, Mm -hmm. there's no one that could have quite done some of the parts that he did voice work wise. There's just no one else.
0: Oh the, gosh, the dis- dishonor on the you, dishonor. dishonor on your
1: cow is one of my favorite lines and I still say that to my students sometimes. I just say dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow when they forget to put their name on something or lose something.
0: And like the lines themselves are great, but Eddie Murphy's delivery of it is exactly the, the icing <laughs> on the cake. And it's his delivery of stuff like, I'm
1: making waffles. Yeah.
0: He's so excited, I'm making waffles. This one... Uh, gets me every single time and I forgot he'd used it in this movie because um, I've heard Eddie Murphy say something very similar to this line in other movies and other things, but Man, you gotta warn somebody before you just crack one off. My mouth was open and everything. When he's walking behind Shrek and they start smelling the brimstone.
1: I, that was so funny.
0: <laughs> crack one off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So good. My mouth was open. Oh. I've definitely used the phrase cracked one off before, but I, f- I forgot that it was in Shrek. Um, okay, uh, this I just had to, because the Three Little Pigs were, again, you got all the fantasy fairy tale characters, like the Three Little Pigs have a cameo, Pinocchio, uh, which is great. Geppetto is selling off Pinocchio at the beginning of the yeah, movie. Yeah,
1: that part was like, I'm like, why is this in here? I mean, it's funny, but I'm like, this is so just random. <laughs>
0: But the the uh, this line from the Three Little Pigs was so good.
1: He hoffed and he puffed and he signed an eviction notice. That
0: one <is> so good. <laughs> um, so we did mention. Oh, actually, um, I've got a Lord Farquaad line, um, and this is this line alone just encompasses all of what Lord Farquaad is.
1: Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines that he does the whole movie. Just because I was like, I almost like predicted it in my head because it was so yep. perfect for the character.
0: Hmm. Um, this was Shrek and Fiona as they're running away from the dragon. It talks! Yeah, it's getting them to shut up, that's the trick! Uh, I love that there's there's so many bits from that scene that could work it's just the music is so loud that like capturing audio isn't great but that that whole that's my my single favorite sequence in the movie is from when they get to the castle until they leave with Fiona because it's it's really good animation it's really good uh, like action staging in the whole thing in animation which is great. Um, I, I love that quite a bit. And finally, we have the gingerbread man. And the gingerbread man—that scene is just out of nowhere. There's n- there's zero setup for it. It happens, and then it's not mentioned again. And then you get the gingerbread man showing up right at the end. But first of all, he—the way he he calls uh, Lord Farquaad the monster. You're a monster. I definitely have said that in that type of voice to a lot of people over the years.
1: I love the Gingerbread Man. He's uh, he's delightful. I he, love that they brought is. him back at the end too. Uh,
0: but he has the greatest exchange in the movie, bar none, which is the following. Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man. The Muffin Man. Yes, I know the Muffin Man. Who lives on Drury Lane? It's so good.
1: So I've been making... I I make a joke about that all the time, not knowing that this existed (laughs) in this movie, and I now realize that every time I make that joke about, like, but do you know the Muffin Man? You know, the one that lives on Drury Lane? I now realize that every person I've said that to probably laughed or (laughs) thought it was me referencing Shrek, and I had... No idea until today. So, oh, that's uh,
0: that is amazing. <laughs> oh, that makes it that's that's even better. That makes like, it. And my that's, husband that's is so nodding his
1: head at me right now, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that. That's I, I'm glad that you finally got to watch this. Uh, but that like knowing that now just makes it even better that you hadn't seen the movie for 20 just, years.
1: It's just so funny, and, like, it's so funny, the ones that miss you, and then you're, like, by the time, it's, like, you just never get around to, uh, you just never get around to it, you know, When it's been 20 years, it's, like, oh, it's been five years, all right, it's been 10 years, okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, at some point, it almost becomes, like, a streak, you're just, like, do I I break the streak and watch this movie, maybe, maybe not, but uh, 20 years is plenty, and now, hey, now you get to watch all the sequels for the first time and enjoy them, so... Look at that. That was Shrek. I mean, Shrek is Shrek is a cultural touchstone in a lot of ways. Obviously, if it if the Library of Congress deemed it uh, culturally and aesthetically relevant, um, then uh, then it definitely yeah, was. I'd say so. <laughs> I mean, you know, yes, the animation you can tell that it's a little bit older, but it doesn't look super dated because they did a very stylized thing um, with uh, with all the character designs. Um, and they didn't try to overdo like donkeys got fur and the fur kind of the hairs move around, but they didn't try to overdo that. So really there's only, I can only think of one or two shots where I was like, eh, that they would definitely do a better job animating that now. And it's like, it's stuff like water or fire, like really difficult to animate stuff anyway. And for what they did 20 years ago, it's amazing.
1: I'd say, I'd say the same. I'd say there were a few moments where I was like, oh, okay, this is definitely older, but nothing that was, like, egregious. Um, no. It's mostly just that, yeah, we're like, wow, we can really do some crazy stuff now. I mean, let's be honest, the things that we're doing now are just make anything that's more than five or six years old look bad. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, Yeah, that's very true. Well, cool. I'm so glad you got to see this, Jen. And and it was great having you back on the show. It's been what probably almost two years since you've been on.
1: Uh, yeah, it has to have been. I think was it we did Scrooge? I think right, or did you the King's Speech?
0: King's Speech was the last time, so that yep. would have been yep. yeah. Because I hadn't even moved into this house yet. Oh the my last goodness! Time you were
1: on. Oh my goodness! See, and so. it's such a. Such a perfect opportunity, and now I finally have. I can cross this off my list, and I no longer <laughs> feel like I'm missing out on jokes that the rest of humanity is aware of.
0: <laughs> there you go. you You can no longer be like, "No, I haven't seen Shrek," or or just have. You can actually genuinely laugh at the jokes now, instead of the "Oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah." Uh-huh. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to laugh anyway because, you know, we all do that. We all do that on those on those things where you, just, people just can't believe you haven't seen it. Um, it's like finding somebody who hasn't seen a Star Wars movie of any kind, and you're just blown away by that idea. Like Shrek is is honestly in that level of stuff.
1: That's why I so. brought it up. I was like, maybe this might be a weird one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you have recently been doing some more Minecraft streaming this uh, summer. Um, yeah. Let people know where they can watch that and what you're working on.
1: Yeah. So we have a little town. We play on a server. Um, it's real fun um called breakdown craft and we i've been streaming at at the gen so uh, very easy to find but yeah we're working on our little town there's a few of us i found the other adults that play on the server and we (laughs) have (laughs) combined into one crew and we have just been kind of decorating a little medieval town and so taking advantage of my summer months to play some video games you know and relax so yeah come check out streams it's been fun
0: Absolutely, and, and I have I have personally gone on a few times, and it's great. I love watching because it's nice and relaxing as well, so definitely check Very that out. Very chill. <laughs> yes. Twitch.tv slash Gen.
1: Yep, that's Excellent. right.
0: Perfect. Check that out. Well, Jen, thank you so much for being on this week. This was a ton of fun.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast.
0: And uh, let's not go two years before having you back on.
1: Promise. I promise. <laughs>
0: okay. That sounds good. Uh, so next week, folks... Begins the fourth annual Cage of Palooza. That's right, the month of August, all cage, all the time. And I'm kicking it off this year with Moonstruck. I've never seen Moonstruck before. Uh, so Nick Cage and Cher in the same movie. Um, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and, and I love doing this month every year because it's just ridiculous. And, and I love celebrating Nicolas Cage uh, because I do think, honestly, that he's a treasure. And there's such a breadth of material that he's done, so I, I super look forward to these. So that's that's what's coming up next week. Now, if you want to hang out and uh, be in the chat room while this show is recorded live and be like Ace or Daniora, Claire Gack was in here earlier. Phil Rude, you can do that. Twitch.tv/slash TVs Travis every Sunday night 8 p.m. Eastern time uh, for now. What is 176 weeks in a row? I stream. And I do this show here. Um, And then it comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find it at tvstravis.com or search for a weight you haven't seen um, in your favorite podcast player. It should pop up. Uh, Leave a rating and review on things like uh, Apple Podcasts if you can. That helps make the show more discoverable and easier to search for because I gave it a terrible name. Um, And I put punctuation in there. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm bad at SEO is really what it is. So tvstravis.com is the easiest way to find it. But definitely, uh, you know, let people know about the show. And um, if you want to support me, you can buy me a cup of coffee, ko-fi.com slash tvstravis. So until next week and the start of Cajapalooza 2022, Jen, thank you so much for being on. And uh, everybody, enjoy your movies. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Let's play excellent to each other. red thorns blue flower red thorns blue flower red thorns this would be so much easier if i wasn't colorblind diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this broker <laughs>